Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. Good afternoon, it's Mary Stone, and I'm on my screen porch on this chilly day, and Ellie is with me, but she is acting antsy, as if to say, maybe it's too cold. <laughs> anyway, I want to tell you that I did write a column about the blackbirds that you heard last week. Do you hear Ellie? What is it, Ellie? What? She has a way of squeaking <laughs> that I wanted you to hear. Anyway, I did some further research after hearing from uh, Dennis, my birder buddy, about the common grackles. I was on the uh, Cornell University All About Birds site, and I did learn a bit more about the common grackles, and I wrote a column about it that I thought I would share. Hello, fellow readers. While recording episode six of my new podcast series, an arresting sound came from thousands of swarming blackbirds that landed in our front yard walking and feeding for a few minutes, then they took off like a synchronized wave, exploding like a helicopter. Softer, of course, but considering the size of the birds, their sounds are significant and glorious. It goes to show there's volume in numbers. I reached out to my birder buddy, Dennis, of Blairstown, New Jersey, who said they're most likely common grackles. They move through our area this time of year, sometimes by the many thousands. They like to raid our cornfields, too. So I did some research on this, and I have to tell you, I was fascinated to learn this little detail. While feeding off the fall remnants isn't so bad, common grackles are known for snagging newly planted corn and even sprouting seedlings, causing multi-million dollars in damage to crops. In the sky, they look solid black, but with closer inspection, they have an iridescent purplish-blue to greenish sheen. Common grackles are about the size of morning doves with long tails and yellow eyes and black beaks. When they roost in the trees, they look like ornaments filling in the vacancy where our leaves once were. So as I'm chatting with you, I'm looking out at the, the branches that they were on. And actually, there's a photograph on the website, GardenDilemmas.com, pertaining to this column where I used my big girl camera and took some photographs. So you can even get the close-up of the common grackle's crazy purplish-greenish sheen. It's very cool. They're social birds nesting in colonies of up to 200 nests. They often migrate with other species of blackbirds, though our visitors, who came dozens of times, by the way, seem to be all grackles. Scientists attribute the formation of superflocks as protection against predators. By traveling in massive groups, they can create predator confusion, much like fish that swim in schools. Indeed, there can be safety in numbers, as long as everyone gets along. I always end with Garden Dilemmas, AskMaryStone.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll share some of the winter weather folklore stories. We'll have some fun with that, as well as why critters cross the road. And lastly, giving thanks. Good morning, it's Mary Stone. I'm speaking with you again from the screen porch. Another beautiful sunny day. The 
Temperature is still chilly, but golly, when the sun is shining, it certainly warms the soul. And uh, we just got back from a road walk, Miss Ellie and I, and uh, she is quietly taking a nap. As we were walking, I was reflecting on the lessons from the common grackles and the way that they live and uh, the wisdom of certainly volume in numbers and safety in numbers as long as we all get along. Imagine if that were the case, how beautiful the sounds would be. In our last episode, I also mentioned the uh, visit with Janet, who talked about some of the new winter folklore things I had never heard about, like deer having grown in dark gray coats, the color of mule, indicating a harsh winter ahead. So it kind of inspired me to go back into my column archive on GardenDilemmas.com and read through some of the uh, winter weather prediction columns I've written, which of course is local to here in Blairstown, New Jersey and surrounding areas. But uh, the folklore is universal, and I thought I would share little bits of some of the fun that I cited in the columns. I'm just going to read parts of a few, so here we go. Why is it that so many woolly bear caterpillars cross the road in the fall, asked Jim of Mount Bethel, Pennsylvania. It's not to get to the other side, sorry jokesters, but in search for overwintering sites under bark or inside cavities of rocks. When spring arrives, woolly bears spin cocoons and transform into the Isabella tiger moth. Not beautiful butterflies more fitting coming from their cute fuzzy larvae stage. In truth, woolly bear caterpillars from the same batch of eggs can have a wide variation in the size of their colored bands, making the folklore iffy. So the folklore is, by the way, if the woolly bear caterpillars have a narrow rust-colored band, then it will be a harsh winter ahead. So that is one of my favorite, you know, things. I actually look for them on the road, and I've been known to save many of them, which is kind of a seasonal thing. Um, They do travel in the fall and in the spring, by the way, but the fall is when they're most prominent. While I'm on the subject, I'll talk about some of the other Winter weather forecast folklore. Boy, say that quickly. Winter weather forecast folklore. Anyway, plentiful acorns. I think most of us know that one. Thick corn husks. Squirrels gathering nuts early. Another common one, right? Crickets in the chimney. I'm sure they mean cave crickets, of which there are many around here. Halos around the moon. Early rodent infestation or bird migration. I had never heard this one. Now listen to this. When pigs eat sticks. So there you go. But again, my favorite is the woolly bear caterpillar folklore. Oh, this is kind of a fun one. A column I wrote in October um, a few years back, Why Critters Cross the Road. I think you'll enjoy it. Hello, fellow readers. This time of year on Morning Walks with Miss Ellie, I come across woolly bear caterpillars and can't help but help them along. Just as I pick them up, they curl into balls of fur. After ten or so saves, I consider just letting them be, but imagining them squished on the road is too much to bear. They're scrambling for a place to overwinter in decaying plant debris. The odd thing is, the side of the road they came from has just as many plants. Woolly bears seen in the fall are the second generations of caterpillars that emerge in August. The first generations come in May. In the spring, they'll surface and feed on plants such as birch, maple, clover, aster, herbs, and grass, Then they spin into a cocoon. In two weeks, an Isabella tiger moth emerges. Eventually, the females lay eggs, and the cycle continues. 
You likely know about the legend of woolly bears predicting winter. The narrower the reddish-brown band, the harsher the weather. They say there's no scientific proof of such, and from my observation, their band's fashions run the gamut. From the classic black ends equally sized, with a reddish-brown middle, to all brown or all black. Even an all-blonde fuzzy crossed the road. Then there's those with only one black band, a popular style this season. By the way, of course, as you know, I would have pictures of these on the uh, website, GardenDilemmas.com. And this is before my big girl camera, but uh, they're fun to look at. Admittedly, there's a contradiction about my kindness of helping woolly bears. I've come across other critters roadside, such as the white, fuzzy, hickory, tussock caterpillar, that I didn't help cross the road. They are adorable with longish spikes of fur jutting behind their white coat, fashioning a row of black spots. Really, you should look at the photograph. It's really a very fashionable-looking caterpillar, I must say. The thing is, they can cause a nasty rash that may require medical attention. I did feel badly not helping the furry fellas, though. A few weeks ago, during a rainy spell, dozens of worms took to the road. They say worms take advantage of wetness, which allows them to move more quickly through their soil. I didn't try to save them. Partly because so many slithery critters seem daunting but mostly because of the slime factor versus cute and fuzzy. I've helped more than the furry cross the road, though. Recently, I came across a baby snapping turtle, quarter-sized. The little guy was sluggish, perhaps dehydrated. I carried him to the brook running beneath the road. He quickly roused and raced to the water, finding shelter under a heart-shaped stone. Helping him especially lifted me. My soulful twin Bill had an affinity for turtles. You may recall in episode three, I, I talked a bit about my soulful twin brother Bill. The episode three has the topic of cicadas and gardens glow. So maybe you'll visit that if you haven't listened yet. And as you would imagine, there is a photo of that cute little snapping turtle. Although readers thought he wasn't as cute as the fuzzy wuzzies crossing the road. <laughs> I love photographing woolies along the road in late summer and early fall during Ellie walks. Last year's pictures of Mr. Woolly Bear that made the press had a narrow brown band, meaning a harsher winter. This year's fuzzy wuzzies are quite the assortment. A few with narrow brown bands, which means a harsh winter. One was all brown, which meant no winter? Question <laughs> mark. And even an all-blonde anomaly was found crossing the road. I went on in this column to describe the, the forecast that the Eastern Pennsylvania Weather Authority predicted, which is not relevant to share with you here, is it? Although I remember how excited I was because their prediction was of above normal snowfall, and I guess you can gather I am a snow fan. It makes me feel like a big kid, which I love. So I wrote that Frosty is coming to town. Then there's always the old farmer's almanac that was calling for a cold and snow-filled winter seems logical, based on the dry growing season we had, that during winter we'll make up for the lack of precipitation. So, I vote for the narrowest brown-banded woolly bear to become best of show. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com Thanks for coming by. I hope you had some fun listening to folklore stories and uh, worms and fuzzy wuzzies and things crossing the road. To get to the other side? <laughs> Sorry, jokesters. So while it's Thanksgiving in the near future, and maybe when you're listening to this, it's not the holiday of Thanksgiving, but I consider Thanksgiving something to be celebrated 
always, all year round, for it's universal, really, to think about being thankful. Even though we have tough times at times, but certainly there are many, many gifts. Actually, when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about, I was thinking back on how many years I've been writing the column and how many Thanksgiving sort of themed columns there were. And it was fun actually to reflect back on them. And so I thought I would just choose one. And again, this is seasonal, I suppose, but it's seasonless. And it's also, I always think of Thanksgiving as free of any religious association. So many of us celebrate it. And it's actually celebrated in many countries, um, different times of year, depending on harvest and so forth. So it's a neat holiday that we as human beings all kind of share in common. Hello, fellow readers. I am thankful for the dormant perennials with seed heads that feed our feathered friends, who will surely leave plenty to fall onto the ground and germinate come spring. I marvel over the structure and bark of statuesque trees, more visible now, as the leaves they've dropped decompose and provide nourishment for our dear earth. I treasure the evergreens that we can adorn with twinkly lights and the branches of hollies and other broadleaf evergreens that can be gathered to garnish our window boxes, outdoor pots, and mantles, plus the dry hydrangea flowers, stems of butterfly bush, branches with berries, and other garden leave behinds to add to the seasonal display. By the way, I am known for my pilfering around the garden, using all the bits and things that uh, are dry to decorate window boxes and things. I. I find it almost like a scavenger hunt. It's such fun. In fact, I may have to share this with you. I am known to harvest roadkill, (laughs) which means branches that have fallen from the trees, you know, evergreen branches. I don't cut them. I never would, but I've been known, I have been known to harvest roadkill. That sounds kind of grim. I think I wrote a column about it. (laughs) Anyway, This year's late growing season, then a deep freeze in the northeast, before some plants went dormant, may have put a damper on our dry flower pickings. Not to worry, though. Plants are resilient and will bounce back come spring. This column, by the way, was written two years ago, so of course that weather pattern is different this year. Cycle of life, always changing. I am grateful for the pumpkins to decorate that can be made into yummy pie or soup and toasted seeds for a salty snack. What fun to watch critters scurrying around hoarding nuts in preparation for the winter months ahead, and the flocks of turkeys that seem to congregate in masses this time of year, perhaps taunting the fact that they will not be on the dinner table. Thank you, dear, for staying clear of my hollies during your fall feeding frenzy with the aid of Deer Out, a natural, pleasant-smelling deer spray, and Miss Ellie, who loves the chase. Enjoy the winter break from pulling weeds, deadheading, and other garden chores while dreaming and planning for the growing season ahead. I'll have to admit, I thoroughly enjoy a break from gardening. I mean, by this time of year, I'm really ready to uh, pack it in for a while and hit the slopes and hit the cross-country ski trails, you know, me and my snow dance. (laughs) Meanwhile, we'll have plenty to chat about while our plants are sleeping. In the column, I went on to thank my readers for their readership over 285 weeks long. (laughs) And now it's 387 weeks. So there you go. And we are already on to podcast number seven. That's fun too. It's hard to imagine we've been sharing garden dilemmas, delights, and discoveries in the garden of life for over seven years. 
proof of a sense of community our newspaper and website nurtures, thanks to all of you. Wishing you a joyful time with family and friends, warm memories of loved ones forever in our hearts, and healing love and light for those working through grief, illness, and recovery. Happy Thanksgiving and blessings to all. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com Thanks for listening. And thanks for being thankful. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day.